0: Welcome to Fueling the Revenue Engine. My name is Ross Greenfield, Co-Founder and Chief Enablement Officer at Level 213. We're real excited to be entering our second season of the Fueling the Revenue Engine podcast. As we enter this season, we're going to continue to look at the future of the enablement profession and connect with other go-to-market leaders for discussions that take a closer look at relevant enablement topics, providing insight, guidance, and support to the go-to-market enablement and sales leadership community. We hope you get a lot of value out of this. Thank you for joining us. Coaching go to market team members through their customer facing conversations is often a very high priority for revenue teams, and it's a very high priority for the frontline managers and the enablement teams as well. At the same time, we hear from a lot of those same people that they really struggle to find the time to do this effectively. to coach in a way that the go-to-market team members who are being coached don't dread, because it could be a very uncomfortable thing for the person being coached. Finding a way to coach the go-to-market teams actually became an even bigger priority as sales and service teams went remote and are now all functioning either as a fully remote team or as a hybrid team, resulting in managers and enablement not being able to hear calls that are happening just on the floor, on the sales floor itself. As if they were working in the same office. And at the same time, the go-to-market team members who are, who would be making these calls are not here, don't benefit from hearing their peers who are having similar calls unless they make that effort to join the call, to shadow a call, and or to listen to similar calls of their peers that have been recording. So this all adds to the challenges around go-to-market coaching, conversation coaching at this point. At Level 213, we've actually put a very big focus on enabling go-to-market teams and their managers through effective coaching, and we've incorporated these programs into onboarding programs as well as to continued enablement programs for all the go-to-market teams within a revenue organization. One of the reasons why we've been able to do this so successfully is my co-founder of Level 213, Amanda Amos, is a certified coach. And she combines her experience as a coach with her experience and enablement to be able to create some of the best coaching programs available for customer-facing reps in all stages of the customer journey. So today's episode feels very special to me as we welcome Amanda as our guest expert for today's conversation around all things coaching. So welcome, Amanda. It's a really treat to have you for the very first time on our very own podcast. How are you and how does it feel to be our guest today?
1: I'm great, and it's a little surreal because we talk all the time about all the other things enablement, but to get to sit here and dedicate some time to coaching is I'm kind of going to geek out on it. So thanks.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, not that you ever do. And it's also weird because although I've been the one facilitating the conversations around the podcast, none of the episodes would be out today without you. So it's a treat to have you today and, and to see the other side of it. Full uh, circle, it, I guess. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Okay, so let's, let's get into it. Let's talk all things coaching. So we know that good frontline managers and enablement teams, they know they need to coach. This is not a secret. And they know they also need to mentor their team members. But there's also a lot of confusion. A lot of the questions that we tend to get at the very start of the conversation is, what is the difference between coaching and mentoring, especially from a frontline manager perspective? So how do you define the difference between these two? And maybe you can uh, provide some examples of each.
1: Sure. Well, I think the difference between coaching and mentoring is one thing, but also adding in kind of the elements of training and telling. So I'll explain I'll mm-hmm. that to four things. First, yeah, fair could, point. Yeah. So if we look at uh, mentoring, I really think of mentoring. It I categorize that as more of a sharing of best practices, kind of taking someone under your wing and kind of paving the way for their success, kind of reaching back and and bringing up the next wave of potential. And so that's that's a very kind of relationship focused, kind of transfer of knowledge and kind of returning the favor. Maybe someone did that for you. That's what I kind of think of when i think of mentoring when i think of coaching it's entirely different it's a place it's a very dedicated place a strategic place of developing potential it's a place where you're developing skills, awareness, analytical ability, and you're developing your reps into better customer-facing humans, people who are able to problem-solve, people who have an awareness, able to course correct, and that if you do it well, they're able to then in turn peer coach and do things like that. So that's the kind of the coaching space. And then there's the training, which we all know is a a key piece of skill development. Sometimes someone just needs to be trained, and, and then there's the telling piece. Sometimes maybe you're end of quarter, maybe you're just – there's a deal, there's an inflection point, and you catch it. Sometimes you just need to tell them, don't do A, do B, and that's appropriate Mm -hmm. at times. But that coaching space is that place of ongoing strategic development.
0: Yeah, it's interesting because I think that the telling and then mentoring is what frontline managers tend to – uh, lean towards faster because it's easier and it's faster. And in the moment, especially when you have the pressure of hitting a quota or closing a deal or whatever, it's just like, let me just tell them how to do it. And yet, in the, it's, it's a very, very short-term gain. And mm-hmm. the, the to your point on the training or the skill development, which coaching and or training, effective training will do, they lose out on because they're just relying on you doing it, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's easy to fall into that, especially when you are a quota carrying leader with quota-carrying reps, because even as the rep, like, I remember when I was working with one of my sales managers on deals, and I was struggling, like, it would have been so awesome if they just told me what to do, (laughs) because, again, the deal closes, I retire my quota, I get the, you know, the commission, and it's done, And, and yet, if I'm struggling to have to work through it, it's harder work, and so it's easier for everybody, but it's not in the long term. I was really fortunate to have a sales manager that saw past that and really kind of, Made me struggle through the coaching and really learn it. The other thing that comes to mind as you say that is what is the the crossover of the three Because sometimes maybe there could be like I'm mm-hmm. thinking about okay coaching and mentoring, and I like the way you kind of define the two of those and this is a conversation that I have often with you know we have an apprenticeship program for sales enablement where we enable people entering into the enablement space, right, enablement for enablement. And so it's typically – Someone who has experience in customer facing as a customer facing person, whether they were in sales or success or something like that, and they're taking on enablement and we teach them how to do it. And I have we have a whole section where we talk about the difference in coaching and mentoring. And a conversation that we always get into is what is happening here? Am I coaching you or am I mentoring you? Mm-hmm. And it always is a little bit of a hybrid, right? It's yeah, exactly. a little bit of um, I'm giving you there are times when I'm telling you my from my experience, having done this for mm, plus years, this is this, this is the best way to do it. And, and part of it is also how would you approach this and stuff like that. So how do you think through that, especially as a frontline manager or as a co uh, someone in enablement, that how, how much it crosses over and how do you kind of really delineate in the right time and place, since you said that there is a right time and place for all of them and not end up just leaning on. It's always easier to mentor than to coach, I think.
1: Yeah, yeah. Or or to tell. No, I mean, in a pure model, you would be just coaching or just training. But, you know, in reality, that's not that's not the case. There's kind of a blend between all of them. And I think where I come back to is really being in tune to what the circumstances call for and what me as a leader, where are my skill sets? Am I not coaching because it's easier to mentor or tell because I don't have that coaching muscle developed? And so if you're leaning towards one thing at the expense of another, is that because of your own growing edge and you haven't developed that skill or because you're trying to save time? And so going back to what is called for in this moment for the business, what is called for in this moment for this rep? for me as a leader and what ultimately is going to get the long-term results. Because if we go back to that, the premise of you keep doing what you've been doing, you're going to get the results that you've been getting. Yeah, yeah. So if, if you're getting great results, well, cool. Sure, but don't break, you know, yeah. most of us have identified an area where we want to do something different. And so how are we going to invest that time and how are we going to develop that skill set? So really, and to answer the question of what's called for when, it's, it's a balance between I'm going to say the four, and really being in tune with what is called for in this moment and what is called for over the long term to produce the results you need.
0: Yeah, and as you saying that, two two things came to mind. Number one is you you mentioned the challenge of like, do you have the time? I think that if you're going to be doing a coaching conversation, especially as a frontline manager or as a sales enablement professional. Don't be multitasking. Be one hundred percent in that conversation <laughs> because you do have other things going on, right? And you do, and you do have classes running, and the next meeting is coming. So no, you got you, you got to turn time. all of that off. Yeah, yeah. You, can't. you have, you have to, to be present. Yeah, this is this is the fully fully present, and the person being coached has to be fully present, and usually they are. The question though, that comes to mind is, who's better to be do the coaching? Is it the frontline manager because they're close to the deals and they're and I'm mean, going to use deals as our example. Yeah, this yeah. can be done for any role or the accounts, or maybe someone as an outsider like enablement, or, you know, we come into companies and do this sometimes. Yeah. Is there a benefit in or, or, or a best practice
1: there as well? I think it depends on the culture and the ability of the, the leaders within the organization. So, for example, if you're expecting sales managers to truly coach and develop reps, but you haven't enabled them to know how to coach, you're setting yourself up for a failure. Mm-hmm. You're not only are they probably going to be feel like they're forced to do something that's out of their comfort zone. They're not going to do it well and they're not going to do it efficiently. So no one's kind of winning out in that, that scenario. But they are closer to the deal. They have the context. They have all of those things. So there's a lot of benefit to that. If you look at an outside person, like either one of us coming into an organization and doing coaching, we don't have... Or the, the enablement team, the existing enablement Or the enablement team. team internally, something like that. Someone who is in an enablement role as opposed to a sales management role, that, that one step removed, they sometimes are a safer place for mm-hmm. reps to ask a question where they feel like they can't be vulnerable or they can't be really honest Mm -hmm. with their management. Now, I, I wish they always could be, but we know that's not the case. So yeah.
0: providing a, providing or at least
1: their, their perception is that they can't, even if, exactly. they, right.
0: They don't want their manager to know that they're struggling or their, their forecast might not come through as they said. Or well,
1: one of it. the things is like we, uh, we, we, hi, we get hired and we hire people for a perceived sense of, of competency and ability and skill set. And so to be in a role and to have a manager that, that hired you to, to, produce something and to be able to be in a place where you have, can admit, I know this, this, and this, yeah. I do not know this, or I'm stuck here. Yeah. That's a really hard place to be. No matter how supportive that manager is, as, yeah. as a professional adult, admitting what your limitations are is a really vulnerable place to be. So yeah. yeah, anyway, but back to the question of like enablement coaching versus sales managers, like the enablement one step removed, they have sometimes a better ability to look more holistically at things, better ability to draw back and look at things from a different perspective. So I think there's no clear-cut answer of which one's better. They're just different. And I think the deciding factor is really who is more enabled to be able to do effective coaching.
0: Yeah, I I think the safe space is a very important thing. And and then I'm also thinking about – Situations where, from an enablement perspective, I was part—I did coaching for sales teams, whether I was internal at the company or external here at Little her team, the more involved the sales manager was in partnership with me as enablement or us as enablement, the more mm-hmm. effective it is overall anyway. So that's another thing to consider, whether that was the sales managers actually being on the coaching call or us then following up with the sales manager right afterwards in a safe way sharing some of the things that they could then continue to reinforce
1: yeah in maybe okay. a
0: mentorship way or in mm-hmm. in an even a telling way but it kind of then it, it it provides the full support around the the sales or, or the go to market human
1: that's a really good model where you have kind of the the, the triad of rep whoever's in the coach capacity, and then the sales manager role. Because when you have a good synergy between the three of them, the coach role can then interact with the sales management role. And that sales management role can provide a critical piece of structure and accountability around the follow-through. Because one of the things about coaching sessions is it's all well and good to have a really resonant coaching session and to be head nodding and to come to a really great realization. But if you don't do anything with those realizations, if you don't carry that forward and the execution on the back end isn't there, then it all falls apart. Yeah, yeah. And and the other
0: last thing I want to say before we move on from this is we mentioned earlier, you know, if things are going well, then don't break it. And yet I think coaching can be really, really helpful. If you have an a rep, coach them to be A-plus. Yeah. Because you're going to get more out of an A-plus rap than you will get. Coaching a rep who's a B rep to be a B plus rep. Mm -hmm. So I do think, and the the level of the coaching is going to be different. It's going to be at a much higher level. So that's just another thing to think about. Okay, so let's kind of go to, you're a certified coach. Uh, You're trained in how to coach. You've been a very, very successful coach. What elements of your coaching certification do you incorporate into the coaching into your sales enablement coaching that those of us who don't have your background and your education don't even think about or, and or how can we incorporate that or think about some of those things?
1: I think the biggest thing is curiosity and formulating impactful questions. Mm -hmm. And this ties back to the kind of the difference between the coaching, mentoring, and telling. I think the reason why some people fall into that trap of telling and mentoring versus coaching is they don't know the right questions to ask. And so being in that place of, I mean, there was an enormous focus throughout the multiple certifications that I did for coaching around what types of questions to ask, how to ask them all of, all of that. So when we go back to even, and I use this with when I'm, when I'm coaching reps, I even tell them, Hey, in your execution, how much are you asking questions of a potential buyer? And the, the reason for this really is we think as sales reps, we think as coaches, we think as sales managers, that we need to have all the answers. And that's not true. We need to have a baseline of knowledge. But what's, what's more true is we need to know which questions to ask. Because when we are in a place of curiosity and when we ask questions and open-ended questions to the, the gates to the land of potential. When we ask those questions in a selling situation or in a coaching situation, the recipient of those questions goes into this place of analyzing what is the answer? How do I want to articulate that answer to this? And so sometimes we're delving into the unknown. And I think that's why people don't do it sometimes because they're uncomfortable with not knowing what answers are going to come back or, you know, you're going into uncharted territory. So if you go back to the parallel to the sales situation, if I'm a rep and I can tell, tell, tell as a way of selling, if I can tell about all this value versus finding out from a prospect what's important to them in their business, what are they limited in achieving with their current solutions? If I can ask them questions about that, that's much more resonant and that's a place of, it's, the basis for all the value-selling frameworks. So if we go back to the, the coaching piece of this, when we toggle from – and well, when we find ourselves telling, it's always a reminder to go back and ask the question, even if we know the answer to what the question is going to be. The, the, the mechanics of asking the question does two things. It forces the person being coached to think through, what's the answer for me and then the secondary piece of what's the impact of this answer? And that's the place of real growth, finding out, like, what's really here and what do we want to do with this information? Does that make sense?
0: So, yeah, it does. And so just to get a little bit more practical with it, what, how, if I am the person coaching, uh, whether I'm a sales manager or a customer success manager, enablement manager, or whatever, um, and it's Difficult to think about the questions. Like, what, what? How do we, how do we construct those questions?
1: Mm-hmm. It's totally fine to have like a coaching cheat sheet for different scenarios, have go-to questions, guidelines for that, or just make them as simple and as short as possible. So, like to the point, not a yes/no question, an open-ended, like curiosity discovery question, and then you can have it by scenario or by sales stage or whatever that is. Have a cheat sheet. Mm -hmm. And I and it's okay to even share that cheat sheet with the person you're coaching. I mean, Mm -hmm. with transparency is totally fine because one of the things that I think that we can touch on here in part of this conversation is coaching has to be a place of safety and transparency. So the more that we're not hiding anything, any of the frameworks and tools we're using, we can share them with who we're coaching.
0: Yes, even if they have time to prepare the answers, it's going that's gonna force them already to doing the activity that we want them to do.
1: So if we if we kind of come full circle back to the sales coaching and how do sales managers coach in, in this scenario by asking these questions, they really want to go back to those pieces around asking about what's going on with this customer and what do you know about them. So asking your rep about. What have you found out about the, you know, the structure and the decision-making process within this customer? What is their motivation? Why would they change? What are the outcomes they're looking for? What are those inflection points? All, I just rattled off like a series of questions, but each one of those things in isolation digs into how skilled is this rep at discovery and finding out what's going on with this customer? How much do they know? How much do they not know? All of those things are important questions to ask and taken in isolation. You can kind of build kind of a profile of what's going on in that deal. And then depending on the answers, you can toggle into maybe some of the telling of like, if this, then that.
0: So in other words, they come out of the coaching conversation realizing that they don't have all the answers or that they, and they therefore figure out where they're stuck in the deal and then Mm -hmm. they can go and take action on it and then come back and you can continue to have the conversation and by doing that, they develop that skill set around remembering in the discovery call itself or what have you to actually get that, let's say, information by, and by default, they become better skilled at selling. Yes?
1: Yeah, that and also uh, if you, if you go through, you know, kind of the model of ongoing coaching, they're kind of going to understand how the typical conversation goes at, around different things, and they're going to anticipate some of those questions. And over time, modify their behavior.
0: Yeah. Okay. So, really important takeaway from this part of the conversation is think about the impactful conversations with when you're coaching in whatever scenario you're coaching. And this could be coaching for professional development too, because it's the it's the the secret is in the question and allowing the the person being coached. To even go, huh, all right, let me think that through. Let me process this with you. And you're processing it together versus you having told them. So that's very, intense, yeah. very impactful.
1: And I think one of the things around coaching and the question versus the telling is when I, when you've asked me a question and I've articulated an answer, my answer becomes much more resonant for me, actionable and compelling. If someone tells me to do something, yeah, I might follow you on it. But, it. but if I've articulated an answer that's resonant to me, it's going to be much more actionable and compelling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking of an example of a time when I was uh, coaching a sales rep through something. And it, halfway through the conversation, he said, I've been saying I don't know a lot. Huh? I need to go find out more information. And I'm like, yep, why don't you go find that. and we'll continue this conversation. Like it just came to him on his own. He realized, like, I, I'm assuming a lot. And mm-hmm. He didn't necessarily realize that beforehand again, because he was living in the deal and it, and I think the other thing that coaching does is it allows them to start separating themselves from from whatever the situation is, whether it's a deal, whether it's a professional development, whether it's an account, but you're able to kind of take a little bit of a of a of a larger view at it, mm-hmm. uh, which could be very helpful so let let's kind of now that we understand kind of some of the mechanics that good coaches think about and, and effective ways of doing it, I want to go to the two main challenges that I think we see with frontline managers and the people being coached. Number one is it's really hard to find the time to do this, both for the person doing the coaching and the person being coached, especially when we're talking about revenue generating teams. Number two, it's a very vulnerable thing to be coached if you are the person being coached. And we talked a little bit about safe environment, but role plays are just awkward. And while bringing a call is just awkward for someone to hear you people feel vulnerable doing that. So so it's a very, it could feel like a very uncomfortable thing. So let's stick into those two separately. Let's start with the sales managers finding the time and so, well, I should we face that the manager and the rep finding the times? So what are some ways that you have found to help teams overcome that challenge?
1: Yeah. I mean, time is always a challenge, but, I always go back to everyone has the same 24 hours in a day. And if you, again, if you're getting the results you want, then great, you're doing something right. But at a certain point you have to come to a reckoning point of, am I willing to invest time in developing a better skill set to achieve different results? And so it's kind of, you have to kind of reckon with yourself and make it a priority. So, Once you've decided this is something that's important and I'm going to make it a priority, then it comes down to how you go about doing it. We can talk a little bit about technology solutions that make it more scalable. But when you look at coaching programs, the premise of coaching programs and using humans in a human interaction, how do you make that as effective as possible? How do you make that as efficient as possible? I worked with a client several years ago who created an entire manager enablement program around sales coaching, because what they realized was that they were asking their managers to coach, but they weren't giving them guidelines or enablement around how to do that and how to do it effectively. So they took their entire management team and put them through a course on sales coaching, how to do it, how to do it effectively, and what ended up happening is the entire management team was able to see the value in it, to dedicate the time to it, and the time that they did dedicate to it was valuable because they were more impactful in the time that they were spending, and they were more efficient at doing it. So it took, I think, in the end, less time overall and achieve better results because the managers knew how to do it effectively so it mm-hmm. didn't
0: feel like a waste of time and i guess the people being coached didn't feel like it was a waste of time and yeah. so for everybody yeah cuz they were getting something out of it right yeah, yeah it's
1: it's like know. a it's like a furniture that you order that you have to assemble you can have the really crappy one with like weird instructions you're kind of like feeling your way through it and like eventually get it done but it's been frustrating and like you have a wobbly table Versus one that maybe there's some simple, like, assembly, but it's well-made, and there's a clear path forward, and you get it done, and you're solid. It's kind of a little different.
0: Or you do like me, and you hire a task grabbit to assemble it for you. <laughs> or you do that. You outsource it, yeah. You outsource it. Yeah, no. Wouldn't be coaching, right? Yeah. Uh, but then again, I'm not trying to build furniture for a living, so. uh <laughs> Yeah, yeah, but that that's a really good point and a really good example and I think I think what that also probably told the people being coached that it's important. And if it's mm-hmm. important to the leadership team, to my frontline manager, to the company, they're investing that it's obviously important it's an important thing I should show up and it's going to be useful for me. Yeah, I'm going to get something out of it and therefore I'm going to sell better service my customers more whatever have you. So I can see that that definitely being really important i also think don't don't cancel this meeting don't push it away don't because that again it sends the message that, yeah. that it's happening and be thoughtful about the time like don't do it the last week of the quarter you know it's not yeah. it's just nobody's brain will be there the beginning of a quarter is always a good time or the beginning of a month depending on your cycle but be thoughtful. you know maybe uh Depending on the culture, maybe in the end of the week maybe better than the beginning of the week.
1: Mm-hmm. Depending
0: on also of the sales motion of like you tend to have, you know, customer meetings Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and maybe Friday is meant for like fresh development day. I don't know. But yeah, thoughtful about that as well.
1: Yeah, I mean, there there's a place for ad hoc coaching, but on a on a regular basis, the coaching meeting can't be something that you're finding time for. It has to be structurally part of like I, I worked with a sales leader who had one day of his week was all one on ones with his team, and it was all in the coaching was embedded in all of those calls, and it was non negotiable and it was every week, so it wasn't like, Oh gosh, we got to find time for that. It was built into the weekly cadence. So
0: once a week, he coached each one of his reps.
1: Yeah, each one of his direct reports had a one on one with him. That and the structure of his team, it, it was at least a day out of his week. So if you can imagine.
0: Sales he that all
1: day coaching. Mm-hmm. A yeah. sales leader took a day of his week every week and dedicated the time, and he really developed the the level of reciprocity, level of you know consistency around it that made it work. So,
0: how often do you think? You know, that's a lot for a manager depending also how many team members you have and stuff like that, which great, I love it if you can. How often do you think? is a good cadence.
1: I think if you go more than two weeks, you lose the consistency. You lose the connective tissue of one conversation to the next. And and the conversations, do they have to be an hour-long coaching session? No, it doesn't have to be. But if you Especially if you're doing it
0: consistently, you don't need to do it as long. If you develop
1: the consistency, you can do a follow-up on where did we leave off? What have you done in between? What's new now? And, yeah. and that kind of rinse and repeat doesn't have to take an hour.
0: Yeah, and we've experimented here with one-on-one versus team, like pod coaching. And I think there's a lot of benefits to both, depending on the scenario. Sometimes it's better for the rep or the or the customer success manager or what have you to have that that that, that dedicated time just themselves, and maybe they could be a little more a little bit more open. And yet, there's also value when you have peers who can see the forest from the trees, but who also are in very similar conversations and can share insight. And and I've, I, you know, with we, one of our clients, we would do these uh, coaching every other week for West region and, a, and a East region. And they love to share with each other. Like they, they got to a place where they really look forward to being able to get, input from their peers. And mm-hmm. as coaches, we even just stepped aside and let them take the conversation and just kind of point it in the right direction, but let them share with each other because it's one thing when another rep who's who's had the same exact scenario and the same exact challenge and has figured it out or had a had or, or learned when it didn't work and hearing from them goes a long way too. So there's so many different ways that you could structure this and also be effective. So let's take that and talk about how uncomfortable it can feel to mm-hmm. on the coaching end. So What are some of the things that a coach or a manager or an able person could do to make it more comfortable and a productive experience for the person being coached?
1: Yeah, I think just setting expectations that it's a learning space. And it's it's going to be a place where we're going to experiment with some things. We're going to, you know, come up with some ideas. We're going to brainstorm. We're going to try different things. And some of them may work. Some of them may not work. But that doesn't mean that anything is wrong or a reflection of your value to this organization. I think that those things are really important to be really transparent about and outline those from the beginning. I think another thing that sales leaders can do or anyone in a coaching capacity can do is be vulnerable themselves give examples of their own failings or their own kind of growing edge of what they're working on. Um, I think Mm -hmm. that goes a long way to making Mm -hmm. them a a real human as well on the other side of the conversation. So some reciprocity there in terms of their own sharing of examples without obviously hijacking the conversation. One of the things that I did with that company that did the whole manager and sales coaching enablement program, part of that was taking their most senior sales leader and doing a live role play in front of the the whole management team. Now, it was a role play in terms of coaching and showing how coaching could be done, but it wasn't a role play in terms of made-up content. It was his real challenge and his real content. And he was willing to sit in front of all of his direct reports and have me coach him through something that he did not have any answer to going into that conversation. Mm -hmm. And so um, the feedback we got from that was really powerful in that people were able to see not only the mechanics of the coaching, but the ability to go into a place of uncertainty and unknown and kind of unravel that and figure out like what's here and then assemble a strategy to move forward. And that their most senior leader was willing to go into that space of uncertainty and, and saying, I don't know, let's figure it out, was really powerful.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important. I think it's a great example because I think, as I say, you mentioned earlier, that salespeople get hired for their sales experience, and so could feel very vulnerable to have to work through a problem. And yet when you're in the thick of a deal or in the thick of a, of a professional development scenario or whatever you have, it's, it could be really hard to be really clear on the path forward or have all the answers. And that's where coaching really helps, but you have to have that be open to that vulnerability and be open to that uncomfortableness of Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. So I think that that's really key to be thinking about is allowing for, there's going to be times when, and I think maybe even mixing it up when, I'm thinking back to that team that I, I referenced earlier where we had East and the West. We would make a theme for the week, and we would say for, this, or for the session, and for this session, bring deals where you won, and mm-hmm. let's talk about what happened. Next session, bring deals where you lost, and everybody was coming with a deal that they lost. So bring yeah. a deal where you're stuck in discovery. Or bring a deal, and so it just became like that was the theme, and that, therefore it was okay because one week we were all winners, and one week we were, we, you know, everybody loses deals. That's just the fact, right? Yeah. Or or what didn't? closing hundred percent. Yeah, and 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 again, we keep, we're using sales as an example, but no one, nobody aces everything perfectly. But because we had that theme, it was okay, and that was the theme of the day. It wasn't like you were going to be the person that looks worse. It yeah. was this is what we're talking about today, right? And, and what we would do, too, we got to a point is we would say to them before we wrapped up the session, what theme do you want next week or next session? And they would say, let's dig into this competitor. Or So it, it started becoming a place where they realized, like, oh, this is a place for us to get better. This is a place for us to work together on something. And it's okay for us to say we're struggling against this competitor. And it actually, in that case, now that I'm saying it out loud, what ended up happening is – it got down to their product marketing team, but they were struggling with that competitor. And then product marketing reinforced that that competition the, um, battle card. And it just ended up just falling into place for all the different things. But it all started with creating that space to make it comfortable. I think the other thing, too, is – well, let, let me ask you uh, – you know, we mentioned earlier – so there's several ways that you can do it, and we've kind of alluded to it using technology or using quote-unquote role play, and one of the biggest game changers in the ability to effectively coach over the past few years have been in the introduction of coaching technology, both in call technology and in coaching tools, but specifically call coaching technology that most go-to-market teams today, or many go-to-market teams today. It's pretty mainstream. they all have it in place, and I think – These tools are actually built for the busy sales manager and for the the busy sales rep, and it builds in functionalities to allow managers to do what I'm going to call ad hoc coaching and or support more formal coaching. And what I want to just say here is if you are – you work for a company that does have that, whether you're the rep, the enablement person, or the manager, and you do have a gong or a chorus or uh, any of those or any other ones that I'm not mentioning – there's functionality built in to make it easier for you. And I think where we fall down is we don't really use, learn how to use that functionality. And I see a lot of companies record every call, but then are we running those reports as a manager based on the, the challenges that we see our teams have of the objections that are coming off and how the customer is responding? Or even as a, as a rep, am I going or an, or an email person, am I going and listening to other people's even just finding that one clip? But there's so much functionality in being able to see, as a manager, get reports directly as dashboards just for yourself on whatever words you want to track or stages of, the, of a call you want to track or even compare different team members to each other, and I'm going to take this moment to say, take 30 minutes and figure out how to use that tool for your own benefit. Because I I keep hearing, I have so many conversations with sales managers or enabling people and going, I just didn't even know that the tool could do that. Yeah. And they'll say, I don't have time to listen to calls. Well, you don't have to listen to the entire call. Now, I'm not advocating that this, that this replaces a, more of a regular coaching session that we were just talking about. And yet, I think also... Bringing calls to those coaching sessions is a lot more impactful, and also just getting to that specific time. And these calls don't have to listen to the whole thing. But what where is that inflection point of what we want to cover today? So in the example that I said earlier, where we would make the theme of the week, and if the theme was a specific competitor, we would go to that section of the call that covered that. That's it, and that's what we would focus on. So it wasn't you're not listening to an hour call. And you can do it at 2X speed in most cases. You, you're listening to that part of the call, and then you're having the conversation off of that. So I am going to – and you can use it to, as a rep, ask questions about how things could have been different or better, or if you've done it well, share it out. But as a manager, just, just in the interim, during the week or during the regular time, you don't have to sit and listen to calls, 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 calls. You can literally be hyper-focused. So take some time. Learn how to use these tools to your advantage because what it's it's it they're built way more than 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 most people are are leveraging, and it's to help you through that constraint both for you and your learner. And it could just even reinforce if you had a regular cadence of we meet by by week by monthly I always mix it up we meet by monthly we have an official coaching session you bring a call with you the theme of today is overcoming the objection of XYZ competitor, we're going to focus on that. And then you can look at these reports and, and the data coming through your call coaching technology, and then do ad hoc reinforcement in between, and that's where you're really going to see the, the movement and so take the time and learn how to do it. Most of these, all of these companies that I'm thinking of have resources available to teach you how to do it, and it's not complicated. Work with your revenue operations team if they're the ones who manage this tool, but really take advantage of these because we have this technology and I think we're we're just scratching the surface with it. And to that end too, what I like from the rep perspective is being able to bring a real call. That's not what I wish happened or what I think happened or what I wanted to happen. It's what happened and -hmm. it's how the buyer responded and you can use that reality and that, that changes the forced fake role play. So that said How have you seen best-in-class reps and, and teams leverage the functionalities of this technology in their coaching
1: programs? Yeah. So I think the reps who really take advantage of the technology that we have and really use it to develop themselves, what I see them doing is going back to different categories of calls. Calls they know did not go well, calls that went well, and calls they have questions about. So like the calls that didn't go well, they'll take it and they'll go back and they'll listen to it and they'll identify where things they think went off the rails and use that as the jumping off place for a coaching conversation around have I done it differently? How could I have changed the results here and have the coaching conversation around I chose A, I should have chose B or whatever. What what do I need to do differently? The calls that that did go well looking at how do I replicate that, or what themes do I see, or where am I strong, or how can I, how can I refine this? That That's another place where they come, and I'll give them credit. These are like high-performing reps that take the time to go back and pull these calls. That's kind of above and beyond. That's not something that's directly, you know, they're on their KPIs and things that are being measured on. That's their own professional development. That's their own personal development. The other piece around calls where they had questions, maybe there's something where the call went okay. Maybe they progressed into the next stage, but they know that they kind of had some things that were a little murky, and they want to clean those up and tighten those up. So they can use that as a coaching conversation around, like, I lucked out because there was something that made this move forward, but had something gone differently. It may have gone the other way. So. That's what I see high-performing
0: reps do. Yeah, you know I'm too old to have been selling in the age of <laughs> this coaching technology. Right, <laughs> it was not thought of in those days. However, one of the I think the secrets to my becoming a really good sales rep was I would take every call that I had, whether it went well or didn't went well, didn't go well, and I would ask myself two questions: What went well that I would want to do again? And what didn't go well that I don't want to do again? Uh-huh. And even just those two questions, whatever happened, whether it was a successful call or not, it was always – I could always answer those two questions. And then I would then apply, try to apply that to my next calls and to my next conversations. And it, it was a game changer. Now, I didn't have the, the reality, and I had what I thought happened in my head and what I felt like happened in my head, and we always think that it was worse or better than it was, but it definitely made a difference. So imagine adding in this technology. So, yeah, I agree. And, again, there's certain ways that, that, that refs can use this technology, I think, better than they are as well. So And you see the difference of somebody who who has that growth mindset and, is, and that coachable mindset and, and uh, wants to learn, wants to get better, because at the end of the day they're going to they're gonna do better at the job. They'll be more successful. They'll – make more money or what have you. So let's turn to companies that aren't leveraging these coaching solutions. What are some best practices to keep in mind when doing that traditional role play? Because otherwise, a lot of these conversations become role plays. And I just said earlier, we think they either want better or worse than they really are. We always think our customers are harder than they are. And as a person doing a role play, we tend to want to go easier. What are some of the best practices for that scenario?
1: Yeah, I think for, for role plays, the most, uh, the, the more effort and intentionality you can put behind making it realistic. What is a typical conversation that you might hear? What are the scenarios that you might face? What are the things that customers typically tell us when we get into a place where, where things go sideways? If we have a pulse on that, if we can recreate that, it, get, it builds credibility with our reps we're not out of touch. And so really doing that. And I think the way to do that is really to go back and recreate a scenario based on some the recollection of something that happened and use that as kind of your sandbox to problem solve and to if we have this to do over again, what might you say differently? Or what how could we bring in a different resource to validate something? All of those things, the more realistic we can make it. And role plays don't have to be forced and fake if we're using that realistic scenario. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what has
0: happened and then kind of stop at an inflection point. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and then even ask the question, what could have been done here or what could be mm-hmm. the challenge? And yeah, I'm actually thinking that wasn't necessarily a role play, but when I was an optimizer, we would do, at one of our SKOs, we did a session where it was deal review sessions and we would give it scenarios and then we would stop the scenario and say, okay, what could have been done here? Whether it was done or didn't, it wasn't done. It didn't matter.
1: Yeah.
0: This is this is what we were faced. What could have been done here, and then have that conversation. Choose your then, answer. okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then it was here's what really happened. And sometimes yeah. we knew who the deal was, and we tried to, to present it in a way that they couldn't figure out which deal we were talking about. Sometimes it was harder because because once they know the deal you're talking about, they try to make it what they thought what they know happened. Yeah. But it was kind of like finding that scenario. So it was different. It wasn't a traditional role play. It was here Here's a point that that where we had a fork in the road, and we were trying to figure out which way to go which way should we have which way which would you go, and why and then here's what really happened and and either the ramifications or the benefits of having done that and the interesting thing was in in those deals that we did in every deal, there was no straightforward path that was all perfect, and there was no path that was all horrible. it yeah. was just coming to each one, so yeah, I think to your point, making it as realistic as possible and not like a a fake because the reps the L L C shape through that and it doesn't yeah. do anything for them and it feels very I think the times when, when we uh, we finish the role play and the rep goes, That was great, but that would never really happen. Right? <laughs> yeah. Or they the, the the role player just becomes this total like mean, horrible jerk. And again, that's most of our customers aren't jerks and most of our customers aren't the nicest people in the world. They're yeah. just trying to make a buying decision. So I like your, your suggestion of make it as real as possible. And maybe not that specific call if it's if it's a charged call, or maybe it's a call that happened last quarter so I don't feel as closely charged around it and I could be a little bit more open, or a similar scenario, that might make it easier. I don't mm-hmm. know. So on, to kind of close out this conversation, we talked a lot about making it a safe space, making it important, making it a priority. How can go-to-market teams and, and revenue enablement teams foster a healthy coaching culture within their organization?
1: yeah i think it's just touching back to uh, the pieces that we brought up earlier of it has to be a priority within the organization so culturally it has to be something that is prioritized that is given time and space to really leading by example keeping that on the calendar it, if it if it gets you know has to be rescheduled it gets rescheduled you know within the same week it's not something that's optional it just it has to be and, and over time you have to be consistent about it really making that time spent valuable it's so it's like not only are you reserving the time but the time yeah. you reserve how are you utilizing that time and, and and kind of what's in it for both the manager and for the rep if that's not there the whole model falls apart i think yeah. that those are those are really the things that are important there
0: yeah, and I'm thinking now, uh, I used the example earlier we had uh, with a client we worked and we had an East Coast and a West Coast team and it was really interesting because the East Coast team, we would do it on Tuesday morning and it was very like first thing in the morning for them and they would show up ready to challenge, to face their week with it because that was the culture of that team whereas on the West Coast it was Friday afternoon at two o'clock. And most of the time there was a bear involved. So, because that was the culture of, of the West coast team. And it was the last thing that they would do before they would, they would log out for the weekend. So they was a little bit more relaxed and it worked for them. And so it was a, pl- a thing that they didn't dread. And it was like, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to come and we're going to come together as a team. And it's, this is the, the thing between us and happy hour. And we're going to learn from our peers and learn for, and set ourselves up for next week. But, and nobody missed it because they knew that, that it was almost like psychologically, I think it was the end of their week. So even just thinking through those things culturally, and this is the same company who had different cultures on the East and the West, but it made sense for them, right? And so there's no one right way or one right time, but if it's prioritized and you create that space for them to to, to do it in the right way for them, I think that can make a, a big difference. Yep. And then I think even just like following through between sessions of If you had a conversation with somebody, you know, on a specific topic, and you see a call come through that they did well with it, pointing out you're getting it, or or here's what we talked about, I think that might help as well. So, Yeah, yeah, another
1: another thing that just just came to mind about keeping it consistent and prioritizing it. If we throughout our coaching sessions develop that check in on what happened last time and what happened in between. Mm. That keeps the thread that yeah. keeps it top of mind. And when we when the coaching sessions are in isolation, we drop into one thing and then yeah. a couple of weeks go by. There's nothing in between. And then we drop into another one. It becomes optional. But when the conversation is a continuation over time, yeah. it creates continuity that we need.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. I'm thinking now of times when, over time, we we were coaching reps and we had a consistency, and then they come to the next call so excited to share share about what they're their did. learning, yeah. their success. I tried it and it worked, or yeah. you know, and, and they and they love that. And then it just again it, it builds their confidence on a this is this is worth my time, b I'm supported here, and c I can actually really do it. And now I can uh, do the next thing. So as you said, I was thinking of this one specific rep who was just couldn't wait for the session to come to, to share with it. and it wasn't like he was trying to brag it was just like I did it and it worked but that's what and we want worked. that's yeah, ultimately when
1: want. coaching is yeah. done well that's what we get yeah
0: yeah yeah. so thank you this was an amazing conversation it was weird because we have these conversations all the time and we're not recording them as we think about supporting our, our clients through coaching in, in particular especially during the last few years as teams went remote it became a very big priority so it was it was fun to do it this way and and it just Thinking through the creating that safe space, making it our priority, and having that culture where we're here—you know—it's we're, we're, okay to learn. It's—it's it's, we're going to fail forward. Somebody on our last podcast said, "Win or learn," mm-hmm. and this is what right, Adrian, in our uh, operations podcast said that, and I told her I'd steal it, and I'm going to give her credit for it. I'll go back and listen to the podcast if you don't know what I'm talking about. But yeah, it's a win or learn is a great coaching culture to have. And then just make the time, but it doesn't have to be hours and hours and hours of time, right? And if you do it consistently, it, it gets less. So, and, and yeah, make it as realistic. in quality
1: over, you know, quantity and volume. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So, as a way of wrapping up, because we're uh, very big believers of here, in the, of level 213 as being, also being people first. If you weren't running level 213 with me,
1: or having to work in an ailment, what would you be doing? Um, do, do I have to support myself and pay my bills, or do I have open open reign on like whatever I'm doing? There's
0: money flying from down from the skies. I think in this scenario,
1: As I won the lottery. Oh, I I would be living on the farm and and, and having a few horses and and riding riding. I'd have a a young horse that i'm developing i'd have a a current horse that i'm competing and then maybe uh, maybe a couple of those and um yeah i'd be just be riding horses all day
0: riding horses all day yeah yeah i figured that would be your answer so yeah we we work now to afford those horses but yeah now. um awesome well thank you for coming on and and coming on to this to this other side of the podcast and i appreciate everything you shared it was very helpful absolutely great conversation As we close out this episode today, we would like to thank purpleplanet.com for our music production, and we thank you for listening. We encourage you to get in touch with us with requests for future topics, any questions you might have, or just to say hello. We can be found at www.level213.com, that's L-E-V-L, and then the number is 213.com, or through LinkedIn. Have a great day.